Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. There is still hockey being played. The Blue Jackets may not be playing as a team, but several Blue Jackets are representing their countries in the IIHF World Championships. We'll talk about the Worlds as well as the Stanley Cup playoffs where the Boston Bruins have swept the Carolina Hurricanes into the garbage bin. All that and more. I am Ryan Real, and I promise I will never leave this podcast for a better podcast. It's my contract. I will, I will never leave. I'm sure we'll talk about that situation. Joining us for this episode, we've got Elaine Shurcliffe. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Ryan. And we've got Will Chase. Hey, Will. Uh, hey, Ryan. What's up? Things are good. Things are good. It's quiet here. How about y'all? Pretty good. It's nice and relaxing because I've got nothing to do this summer other than work. For the first time in 18 years. So uh, I'm excited. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> so not a lot of news because it's late May and things, uh, you know, drafts kind of far away. Not that the Jackets even have that much to talk about with the draft. But there was a signing last week. Elvis Merzlikens, the goalie from Latvia, who is playing in the Worlds right now, signed a one-year, one-way deal. We, we, all, we all knew that would happen. We didn't know it would happen uh, when it did, but uh, what, what's your take? Yeah, so obviously it's pretty official. I mean, without obviously Bobrovsky's scenario playing out the way it is, and I, I assume he's obviously, I mean, we all think he's gone, right? Uh, so yeah, this just makes Elvis's signing more official, or I should say his impending, I guess, debut more official. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm ready to see him in action. Obviously, he is over playing for the I. I, I uh, HF World Championships and um, yeah, I, I've tried to follow a little bit of what he's been doing over there. Um, I you know I saw that hit he laid out about a week or so ago uh, down at his end, but um, yeah, I mean he, he just he sounds like a confident guy ready to make his mark in the NHL, and I'm just excited to see what he brings to the team. Yeah, I'm pretty excited as well. Um, it. It's cool to hear him say things like he has to prove himself to get a bigger contract, to get a longer one, that he wants this one year to make his mom proud. And I I don't know, that kind of resonated with me because 
not many people get excited about a one-year, one-way contract. They, Even though he'll be an RFA, it doesn't really give him a lot of options for the future after that one year if he does really well. So I think it's pretty telling that he wants to prove himself and he wants to be here where he was drafted, which is a nice thing to hear. <laughs> sure. Uh, Elaine, I'm curious from your perspective because, you know, you, you see a lot of guys come through Cleveland. He did not want to do that. Very loudly did not want to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, I, the adjustment from international play to straight to the NHL with no, no introduction to North American hockey. I think as a goalie, you're able to adjust a little bit better because the rules aren't significantly different. Uh, the playing size doesn't really affect you as much because your area stays the same. So I think as a goalie, it's a little bit different of a, because he's seeing, he saw a lot of big name guys over there who played in the NHL before who were either wanted to go back home and play in their home country, or there just wasn't room for them because there were these newer guys coming up, newer, younger guys. So he's seen that high level caliber of play. So I'm not too worried about that. It was a little disappointing when he came over early and didn't want to come down with us. But at the same time, we did, we did fine without him. So I'm not too upset, especially since we know we need a confident goalie playing for the Jackets. Because I feel like a lot of the goalies we've had (laughs) who were good didn't quite have that confidence to take on guys like Malkin and Crosby. So um, I I think that Merzlikens probably doesn't give a crap who they are. (laughs) (laughs) Steve Mason's still out there, too, if things go sour. Free agent. Speaking of guys who, yeah, I, I yeah, love I Steve Mason, but wow, confidence issues. Only if he has mono, do I want him back Oof. on the team. <laughs> That's when he played the best. <laughs> That's right. That was that was amazing. Yeah. I, he, he was one of my like early favorite favorite guys, but everybody has you know one or two that you. Yeah, Mason was great that first year. Man, ten, I think he had like how many shutouts did he have? Ten. I mean, it was crazy. Yes. Yes, he did. Dragged the team as far as he could by himself and then never was able to do it again. I'm glad we got to mention Steve Mason on this podcast. We don't mention enough former. That's something we need to start doing is mentioning working in old jackets. The more obscure, the better. I mean, Steve Mason, you want to call there, so he's not that obscure. But anyway, so speaking of goalies, and we're going to circle back to Merzlikens and the other players, but John Davidson, former goalie, See what I did there. Team president (laughs) leaving to go to New York. We talked about this last week, but now it's official. Obviously did a lot for the organization. The the franchise would not be in the position it's in, I I think, if it weren't for his stewardship. I know we talked about it last week, but have you guys been able to think about it a little bit more now that it's it's a real thing that's happening? I think it's pretty telling that uh, they don't really have anyone in mind for the role of president. Uh, to step in this off season. I think that it could have been a landing spot for Bill Zito and the fact that he's not moving up at all in the organization kind of uh, seems to leave some questions open. Mm, mm, I see. Okay. 
Yeah, I so I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you guys saw it in Aaron Portsline's athletic piece. I think I mean I saw it this morning, so I guess it came up today. Maybe it was last night, but anyway. He was talking about how the team is going forward, and they kind of already, at least Jarmo already kind of assumed that Davison was probably out the door. So he actually asked him to not be a part of the meetings, the organizational meetings that they were having. Um, so, you know, I think from the front office's standpoint, they were kind of like, let's just move on as if he's not going to be here. So obviously, and Jarmo, he's very, uh, he likes being a GM. He's not ready. He doesn't want to be like the president yet. He likes his role, and it's going to expand a little bit just because he'll have to help fill the shoes that Davison will leave behind. But I think I think he's ready. Uh, I think Armo's ready to proceed going forward as such. And however, maybe the front office shifts a little bit, or however they have to maybe make up for Davidson's departure. I think they'll be fine, but um, yeah, obviously with Davidson going to New York, we all talked, like you said, we talked about it last week. It makes sense for him personally. Uh, you know, he's pretty much made Columbus the team that they are, just like they did with the Blues, and now he's just ready for the next project. But it just hap- you know, it just so happens to be the team that he had the opt out clause for if it was ever available. So um, yeah, all the best for Davidson. And but I think from Columbus's standpoint, I think I think Kikalainen is. Uh, yeah, I think he is ready to proceed going forward. And the, also one more thing in the piece here, the Portslines piece, um, Kikalainen, you know, obviously Davidson used to be the guy he went to for whether it was trying to bring in a free agent or, you know, even explaining why they couldn't keep somebody. So now that role will shift towards Priest and I guess the ownership in this regard. So I guess it'll be interesting just to see if, Maybe he has more or less, um, maybe wiggle room, so to speak, when it comes to trying to bring in players or keep players. But um, I don't know, you know, I think it sounds like Davidson had all that power as far as bringing in a guy. So, of course, now, or at least accepting or approving that type of a thing. So I think it might just depend on how they have to present their case with ownership when it comes to free agency or things like that. Yeah, and what a summer for that to happen when there's, going to be millions and millions of dollars yeah. out there. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I would be more wary of the future, more upset by Davidson's departure if Yarmo had been on the job for like a year or two, but this group has been in place for so long, they should be fine. I, I'm not too worried about it. So also one of my favorite hockey facts is that John Davidson inspired the song double vision by foreigner so that is that is such a cool stat i love it i think about it every time i hear uh the song double vision or think of john davidson which is quite awesome but anyway <laughs> moving on good for good for jd a lot of guys in worlds we talked about it last week went over it uh we, we talked about alex winberg last week a little bit because he went off early on in the tournament seven points in three games still going on merzlikens not not great Three losses, hovering at about 90.65 save percentage. He did not play uh, in Latvia's uh, most recent game. Uh, Velvalainen not doing too much either, hovering around 90%. Uh, but Pierre-Luc Dubois got a big goal today against Denmark. So the guys are out there. Uh, they're playing. Have, have you been able to catch or, or follow any of it? Just a little bit. From what I, my understanding is that those losses for Latvia don't really fall on Merzlikens. So that's kind of good to hear. But, but then France lost because, I, I mean, it's not completely Texier's fault, 
but he definitely like overcommitted on that play and it led to that overtime loss which is probably a little bit frustrating for him a kid who like is pretty on point most of the time right 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 yeah Texier uh didn't do great on the on the game winning goal from Great Britain in overtime uh and now France is relegated which not 100% aware that the relegation happened in IIHF because none of the teams I've, I follow have had to worry about it. So poor, <laughs> poor France. Right. You know, talking about Merzliskins, uh, I was just looking him up on Twitter and apparently Latvia was eliminated by none other than Alexander Wenberg's Sweden team today. Um, That's right. And get, go figure, Wenberg has seven points so far, including three goals, four assists. So... I don't know. I wrote about Alexander Winberg's 2018-19 season review uh, that went up Saturday. And of course, like, you know what that was like with the way he, the way things went with Columbus this past season. And now it's like almost the opposite of Winberg over in Sweden. And I know the level of play is different or, you know, maybe even his style of play or whatever. But, you know, he's like, it seems like he's shooting the puck and doing everything that we never saw him do over in Columbus. Right. Yeah. Uh, Winberg didn't do... Um... Did not score today, but, you know, won six of nine face-offs and was on the ice for 16 and a half minutes. So, I mean, maybe you just need to get out of your country. I don't know. Play with some different guys. I don't have a, I don't have a, Sounds like a big answer for that. You know, because it, it's like, what is that going to mean? Is that going to, is he going to, is this going to rejuvenate him for now? But it's so early in the summer. It's not like any of this is going to carry over, you know, when he reports to camp in September. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's always tough with worlds and international play because some guys just excel international. Like Jack Johnson excels on the international stage. And I don't know if it's because it's fewer games in a shorter amount of time, like across shorter amount of days or what it is, but some guys just thrive on that and they just play differently overseas. I mean, you even see it for guys who are good in the NHL and then they go over to like the KHL to the SHL and they just light it up and it could just be a change of scenery. It could be change of coaching staff. It could be, they like the fan, like how the fans do things over there a little bit more like soccer. (laughs) Um, Like maybe that like amps them up so much. I have no clue. It's incredible to see how just because you're good, internationally doesn't mean you're going to be good NHL wise and vice versa, unless you're like Alexander Ovechkin. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, there, there's actually a really good story on the IIHF website yesterday about Texier and about how he's made the adjustment from France to the AHL to the NHL. And it noted that the, uh, the first goal he scored in Ottawa was from, uh, it was an international goal. It was a pass from Dane Oliver Bjorkstrand past Swedish goalie Anders Nilsson. <laughs> so that's neat. It's good for him. It's good to see. I think it's a different, you're talking about how it's harder to, to, to glean anything from international hockey for guys who are established, but I think it's so much fun to see the younger guys that you don't, I mean, we have not seen a ton of Texier. And so this opportunity to see him a little bit more and see the prospects, that's, that's really, I mean, that's the only reason <laughs> I think a lot of us, it's not like if the United States, it, you know, this isn't the world cup or, or whatever. It's not like, my national feelings are tied super close to the team, but I want to see the prospects. I want to see the kids. 
That, I just made that. I just made the most prestigious world tournament sound like youth <laughs> soccer. Wait, I feel no. Wait, no. I feel the same way though because, like, when it's the Olympics, I'm all in on USA. But during Worlds, I'm all about like the storyline, the different players. Like, I'm like, yeah, Germany, you you go ahead and you you beat USA or you beat Canada. That's fine. Like, the, it's because it's it's. It's a big tournament, but it's not the Olympics. And so you have that chance to see what's coming up and what you're going to be faced against. That Great Britain celebration after beating after beating France. I don't know if you guys saw it. I don't want to. I'm not allowed to curse on the podcast, but it was very good. It was a it was a it was very good. Will, you mentioned player reviews and those are going on right now at the Canon. We're doing the 2018-19 season review Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, like right now I'm working on Oliver Bjorkstrand, which I believe is going up this weekend. But, um, yeah, like, I mean, if we wanted to talk about a guy like Bjorkstrand, I mean, he's kind of appealing to me because he kind of showed that secondary scoring spark, obviously late in the season and in the second half altogether. I mean, he scored 17 of his 23 goals over like the last 41 games, I believe, but that's after the first half of the season and when he had like four points in the first two months. So it's kind of like if a guy like Bjorkstrand could put it all together for a full season, that could be huge in a year in which you don't know if you're going to have a guy like Duchesne and probably no Panarin or, you know, you just hope the offense doesn't really miss a beat. Right. right, right. I, I loved Elaine's Clendenning piece too, because that was a guy that not a lot of us got to see for most of the year. Yeah. I, I like watching him play. He's super passionate. Um, Sometimes it gets the best of them, <laughs> but, but it's, you never know. You never have to guess what you're going to get out of Adam Clendenning. And he came back from his concussion. The first few games were a little dicey because I think he probably came back too soon. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he was just solid across the board and he was teaching people and, I, and you didn't realize he was teaching them until he was not playing until we didn't mm. have him. And then you realize those like certain looks or certain things he was doing on the ice were to show the other defenders what was going on, which was, it is cool to watch. I don't know. He's, he's great. Um, but an, a player that was like really hard to grade when I was reading those was Cam Atkinson, because in the regular season, I'm like, A plus, A, so great. He did so many great things. And then the playoffs came, and we I felt like we got, like, average cam, like, C work. And it's like, how do you even grade a guy on that when the pool for playoffs was so small but also so important? You probably have to give Atkinson, at least in my world, I mean, yeah, an A would make sense in the regular season, but including the playoffs, I mean, probably at least a B because, you know, the playoffs are still part of it. He's one of the, I mean, yeah, it's 10 games, but that's 10 extra games that you're counting on. I mean, at least 10 games. They could have gone further, obviously, but um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at a guy like Atkinson to score in big games because he is one of your best players, and um, you know, no matter what the situation was that whether, I mean, he wasn't hurt, but whether it was defend the way they were defending him or whatever, that's why he is paid what he is. He's one of the top players on the team and he scored 41 goals. So you expect him to score in the playoffs and be, be one of those guys. So, 
I mean, yeah, his grade would probably uh, suffer a little bit, but I mean, yeah, obviously, if you were to give him an A for the entire season, I can't really argue that. But I mean, I think for me, at least a B. I mean, not worse than that. Um, but yeah, Atkinson was phenomenal, but he's gonna have to show up in the playoffs. Yeah, no, no goals in six games to the Bruins for a top line guy. I mean, that's. You know, the entire Tampa series, all we heard, or all the national media, was Stamkos, Kucherov, Point, and the total disappearance yeah. until the final game for, for them. Oh, which, by the way, yep. Kucherov is lighting it up in Worlds right now. He's the leading scorer of the tournament. <laughs> He's, I mean, I, which I think speaks to, to the Jackets' plan and the Jackets' execution to be able to shut him down for those, um, was it was it a four-game series? Was that it? Four games, I think? It was only yeah. just, just yeah. a four? It, it just but happened sound, so fast. right. <laughs> It was over in the blink of an eye. I'm not even really sure. It was like it was like lightning was so fast. <laughs> ah, very good, Will. Very good. <laughs> I loved it so much. <laughs> That's my shiny moment right there. That was very good. But go to jacketscanon.com. Check out the player reviews. You can vote on, on the polls. There's a poll for every player. You can comment, uh, leave your thoughts. Zach Wierenski generated a lot of uh, what we in the business call engagement on his post. That, that generated a lot of discussion and a lot of it very good. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We just mentioned the Bruins. They are in the Stanley Cup final by way of another sweep. The Eastern Conference has just been sweeps all the way down. Um, the Jackets do not get swept, I'll point out, but virtually everybody else has. The Bruins will play either the Sharks or the Blues for the Stanley Cup. And we predicted a Bruins win, Seeds, Will, and I, last week. I had them in six. I did not think it would be such a, such a clean sweep, but it was. Uh, what what are your takes on that series? Um, so, well, okay. So basically, Carolina had a great season. None of us probably would have predicted that. But I did not think uh, Curtis McElhaney, Peter Morazic were going to be enough in goal to stop Boston. And it's not even so much about Carolina or their goaltending as much as it was Boston just being obviously the best team in the East and playing like it when it matters. And I just, you know, the firepower from Boston was just too much for Carolina, obviously. But yeah, Tuka Rask is playing out of his mind. And, you know, whether it was Morazic, whether it was McElhaney or almost any other goalie in the league, it's tough to stop a team when the other goalie is playing great and they have all that scoring firepower, you know, Brad Marchand, whatever, all the stuff that comes with Boston. Um so, I mean, I think I predict the series in five games because it's just hard to predict a sweep. But, yeah, I, the, the thing for me, though, is uh, basically the last six years, the team that has the longest layoff has not won the Cup, and that's going to be Boston this year as far as having the longest layoff. And 
it would just be weird if they somehow got swept out of this, you know, the Stanley Cup final because that would mean every team in the East was swept one way or another, or at least in the series. Um, starting with Pittsburgh, and then you know the Islanders sweeping Pittsburgh, and then they got swept, and then Carolina, and so on. So, kind of ironic the East the way it's playing out this season. I can only hope that they would get swept out of the Stanley Cup, but we all know that that won't happen. <laughs> No, it won't, because if you beat the Jackets in the playoffs, you'll probably win the Cup. Right. Yeah. Because oh. the way it goes. It's the way it goes. Remember when we were in the West, and we thought that the East would be easier? And right, then it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, yep. Then, and then all of a sudden, the East was really good winning all the Stanley Cups. <laughs> right. Great time. Well, at least we don't have to stay up till 1 a.m., like, you know. Yeah. That's true. It's true. <laughs> 20 times a year, or whatever it was. So, who do you have winning the West, then? Right now, as we record this, St. Louis has a 3-2 lead in the series, and half of the Sharks are injured. Um. All right, so I thought San Jose before the series, but yeah, they're injured. St. Louis is playing great. If anything, St. Louis... It's funny, because... Um, San Jose has gotten a lot of the breaks, maybe all the breaks from the refs. Not that they haven't played great themselves, but they've obviously gotten breaks. And I heard that in game, what was it last yesterday, game five, right? Uh, the refs, or I should say the fans were actually chanting in San Jose, refs, you suck, because, I, I mean, irony, right? So um, St. Louis, the way St. Louis overcame uh basically getting screwed in their playoff overtime. Uh, was that game four? Um, the hand pass and everything. They were like, they were just like, let's turn the page, forget about it, and moved on. And they moved on. I mean, they dominated the Sharks in San Jose, five zip. Obviously, it, it could go seven, and St. Louis is a great road team. Even though I, I picked the Sharks before the series, like you said, they're banged up. Blues are playing well. They could lose at home because it seems to be what they do, but then they went on the road. It's hard to see the Blues losing at this point, but I think I'm going to go with the Blues in six. I just want the Blues in it because one one of my coworkers who actually likes hockey is from the St. Louis area and loves St. Louis Blues, so I would like at least one of us in the building to be happy <laughs> when <laughs> the end of the se- when our team season comes to an end. But also, I'm all about the storylines, and if Patrick Maroon can come home to his hometown and bring them a Stanley Cup, and like I will, I will probably cry because we'll we'll have a full live looking of his son like breaking down in happiness, <laughs> like. It's just a great story, and I would love to see that happen. I kind of wanted the Sharks to win just because they're always so close, and then they can never get over the hump, and guys like Thornton and, you know, Pavelski and all that. But I don't know. It's kind of it's almost kind of in a cruel way kind of funny that San Jose, as good as they are, can just – they always fall apart at the end. And, I mean, they're almost like the Capitals of the West before the Caps won the Cup. I mean, that's pretty much what they are at this point. I wasn't really rooting for the Blues just because they don't have a cup. Columbus doesn't have a cup, and that's probably selfish. But you know what? I don't really want I don't really want Boston to win though. So whoever wins out of the West, I guess I'm good with. I would rather the Sharks because I, I love the Joe Thornton storyline and these guys like I want Carlson to to win. Yeah. I, I care marginally more for the Sharks than I do for the Blues. I don't really care Same. about either one of them. I I, th- I think the Blues will win the series just because the Sharks are so banged up. But I would love to see seven games. 
because we're running out of hockey. And it's sad. We only have one more series after this. So the, the more games we have left, the better. You mentioned the hand pass, Will. Real quick, for, from both of you, what do you think? What do you think they should, in, in an ideal world, how would you fix it? I think, I think an official in the booth or an, an official up top would, that they can confer with and talk to. I think that would, that would be a big help. That probably would be the way to go. I mean, the NFL, every almost every sport is trying, whether it's an added official or, like you said, above the, uh, in this case, above the ice. I mean, I don't know. It's like, you know, you have replay and it's supposed to work, but then it's, whether it's inconclusive or it's one of those plays where it's, I don't know, it's just, I don't know. I think having a, an extra official up, up above wouldn't be the wouldn't be a bad thing. I guess having an extra official, but I, I mean, like, what what were your thoughts when that played out, or how that ended up? I guess. I mean, what was your what was going through your mind? I want to know how all of them missed it. Like, mm-hmm. I right. want, how did every single one of them miss it? It was. I felt like it was so obvious that it happened. And I know I'm not a I'm not a ref I'm not a linesman or official but someone had to have seen it right like what were they doing what were they looking at why was one of them not looking at the puck Yeah right it's exactly. baffling it's baffling I'm worried about saying oh just put an official up in the sky have another eye in the sky because can that official will that official will be able to call penalties will, like what will they be able to see what will they be able to say and there's all these restrictions and then there'll there'll be some big missed call and then that'll get parsed down because that's how it works right and that's what happened with replay and there's no good answer there's no way you can say review it's either review everything or you're gonna have to make exceptions and right look there's officiating problems in every single sport we know that but for whatever reason it seems like the nhls are so self-inflicted yes and i feel like i i try really hard not to talk about bad about refs because I know it's a really hard job, but I feel like this season in general from the AHL to the NHL, it has been so bad. And then playoffs came and the rule book went out the window completely. Like we had a, a linesman tackle Doyle Summerby during game one of the Toronto Marlies versus monster series. And nothing happened. <laughs> like, Doyle had a kind of a cheap shot a little bit earlier in the game, like maybe a few minutes before that. And he was getting into it with someone and the ref just tackled him. And I feel like this is a scene that we see throughout the season, like refs getting in the way of plays a lot more this season, Um, deflecting pucks even more, just, just, getting in the way and then not paying attention to the things that are actually going on. Like how did the ref miss um, Martian trying to go for Williams upper body with a stick and only saw like, how did all four of them miss that? Yeah. It's, it's egregious when you have these types of uh, missed calls or blatant missed calls in this case. But yeah, I just wanted to bring up when you said about replay, whether you play, you, you review everything. That's the thing. It's like, and no matter what the sport, um, 
especially like in a sport like baseball where it used to be bang bang it's like close enough he's out but now with replay there is no such thing as close enough you can go right to the video and then it gets to the point where you're looking at every specific aspect and you're almost ruining the point of replay because it's not about trying to get every little time i mean yeah you want to get every call right but when you have replay at your hands at your disposal you're going to be like oh i want to look at that and then it's going to be so micro you know what i'm saying it's like you have to yeah it's so micro uh you got to get so micro to it to where it's like he might have barely did this or this happened and that's ruining like the uh i guess the point of replay in a sense like you want to get certain calls right and that's not to say you don't want to get other calls right but it's like how mike how how small how can how you know i'm trying to say how focused can you get on every little thing but i think though i think one thing with replay and this is any sport there's got to be a kind of like a time limit. It's either it's either obvious or it's not. Mm-hmm. Five right. minutes, you can't go five minutes to, to determine something. It's either got to be bang, bang, yeah, every angle possible. You either see it or you don't. That's it. 30 seconds, a minute, whatever. Yeah, that's that's how I feel too. But also, I, I don't know what refs do in the off season. Is Do they do like, this is going to sound so dumb, but do they do like off-season training? Like, yeah, I think they have camps and stuff. Okay. I think so. Um, I, I was going to say, I know in the NFL, I'm pretty sure most of them are like lawyers and stuff. So as far as like, they have other jobs, but I'm sure they have to be doing some kind of, you know, I mean, I know they have their preseason too, but whether it's some kind of, I don't know, camp or something that they have to be at. But yeah, I mean, I know a lot of them have off-season jobs and they're all lawyers or, you know, whatever it is. Well, we're talking about missed calls and blown calls, and I get that, and we've certainly seen our fair share. But part of what's so frustrating is they're navigating the rules set forth by the NHL, and that includes replay restrictions. So, like, yes, the hand pass was awful. They absolutely should have caught that. Everybody in the arena saw it. Like, that's bad. Then you have situations where, like, Jackets Bruins, puck goes off the netting, comes down, Bjorkstrain plays it to Panarin, goal. They couldn't review once it got passed by Bjorkstrain. Like, that's when, that was the demarcation. They couldn't review that. You have a situation with Landis Cog going offside in that huge game against the Sharks. They looked at that because that's what the rules say. And of course, he was off, but not in the spirit of the rule. He was getting off the ice and he was taking too long to do it, which should have been a too many men on the ice penalty if you're calling it by the letter of the law, which nobody does. So these are situations where they're not necessarily missed calls. Like, yes, the ref should have seen the puck go off the netting. Maybe they should have seen the offside. But when you have the benefit of replay, but the rules dictate that you can only do so much or you have to go to the extreme in that case of Landis Cog, these aren't necessarily on the refs so much as they are on the structure and the rules that, that everybody agrees on. So that's... That's what keeps cropping up and biting the, the league in the ass in the playoffs. And that's what's so frustrating to me. I could live, I say that, I was booing a game six on that headshot <laughs> harder than I've ever booed in my whole life. I feel like I could live with that more than just like this, this agonizing, frustrating replay purgatory. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, replay is supposed to make things better, but it's only making it murkier because then it's like, well, okay, is it conclusive? Is it not conclusive? You know, I mean, I feel like it's one of those one-step-forward, two-step-back scenarios because as much as it can work, 
it's still these things happen. We just miss calls or, you know, like you said, how do they miss the hand pass? I went back and looked at the replay just now, and it was so obvious on TV. What were they looking at? Right. We will leave it there. We are running out of time. Like I said, check out the canon for all of our player reviews. We've got a lot going on. We've got Ryan Murray, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Marcus Hanekainen coming up uh, this week. We've got a lot more throughout the rest of the month and into June. Plus, we've got a lot more as the hockey offseason heats up coming up soon. Guys, we will leave you with a non-hockey final thought for the day. With the end of Game of Thrones, what is everybody planning to binge this summer? Will, we will start with you. Well, I am binging currently uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've seen episodes, but I'm actually watching it from first episode to the end. I think I just finished the first season today. I've watched like eight episodes today. So I'll be continuing (laughs) that later tonight after baseball. I will be watching more and again tomorrow. So yeah, Curb is it. So I'm way behind and I just started binge watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> nice. Good time I, to do it. Right. I managed to avoid most of the spoilers involving the show's run. I don't know how I did that. But I will say I'm two and a half episodes in and I really just hope someone kills Joffrey in his sleep because I hate his guts. <laughs> and it, we're all, I'm only two and a half episodes in. Like, I've never hated right. a character more in my life. I hate him more than I hate the entire Yankees organization. Like, <laughs> um, And then after that, after I watch, binge watch all of that, I'm probably going to have to, like, go on a week-long church retreat and, like, bathe myself in holy water. <laughs> <laughs> because that show is nasty, man. Yeah. <laughs> It's good, but it's nasty. <laughs> oh, it gets it gets wild. How can it get wilder? I'm not. Just you wait. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> yeah, that was very much like a. There's a thing in in film called the the grandma test, and it's like if you're going to make a raunchy movie, you put some kind of indicator in the first five minutes. Like think of the title scene for Wedding Crashers, or yeah, Wedding Crashers, when it has like the naked women on the bed. So that way. There's a grandma watching this movie. And five minutes in, she knows, okay, this is for me. This is not for me. They put incest in the first episode of, of Game of Thrones. I mean, that right. was in the book. Right off the bat, you know what you're getting. This is what you signed up for. Yeah, the first eight minutes of episode one, I was like, I was shook. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? I mean, what? <laughs> we're the, I guarantee you we're the only podcast this week talking about the first episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> I've seen the first five episodes and that's it. <laughs> okay. Well, you guys can both, you can catch, you can wait for Elaine and then you guys can watch uh, the whole True. series together. I could probably give you a really good synopsis. There's a lot of beheadings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of incest. And, oh, yeah. and then there's puppies that die. Most popular show in the country. Go <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm re I'm, I'm rereading the books right now. That's, that's, that's my fake smart person answer. But yeah. I might watch the Sopranos again this summer. Who knows? Anyway, we are out of time. We will see you next week. Our theme music is Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons, who have announced the name of their new album titled 430. Check them out at angelapurley.com. Rate us, like us, review us on iTunes and Spotify and every place you get your podcasts. And you can find all of our articles and all of our notes and stories and everything at jacketscanon.com. Again, we are so thankful for you 
for listening and sharing and just keeping up with the podcast. We really appreciate it. And from all of us at the Canon, we'll see you next week on the Canon Cast. I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.